Thanks for tuning in to the Life in the Front Office podcast presented by Suju Organic, where we inspire, educate, and provide advice and insights around those who are in the sports business and entertainment industry. Please follow us on LinkedIn and Instagram at Life in the Front Office. And don't forget to follow and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. Lastly, get your 15% off Suja at sujaorganic.com with the code LIFO, L-I-F-O, and enjoy today's episode. Welcome to today's episode on the Life in the Front Office podcast presented by Suja Organic. Excited for today's episode with Aaron McGuire, CEO of USA Bobsled and Skeleton. Excited to talk to Aaron about his journey, not only uh, as an athlete, but also in the CEO chair now uh, as a leader leader of the organization. Um, And then we'll get into a little bit of what does teamwork culture look like, uh, both kind of as you continue to build your career. So Aaron, uh, welcome. Great. Thanks for having me. It's uh, exciting to be here. Looking forward to speaking with you today. Yeah, we have had a lot of CEOs on the podcast. And one typical question you ask is like, you can't be a CEO until you're a CEO. And how do you get there? Right. And everybody wants to to get there to some extent. But uh, your path was a little bit uh, non-traditional in the, in, in the sense that uh, you started out as an Olympic athlete and then um, you know, within the training centers, you know, USOPC and, and now where you are. But if you could describe, hey, how, how do you get to a CEO seat? What would you say? Well, just just one correction. I, I was not an Olympic athlete, um, but got, got really close and had an amazing experience there. Um, and so, you know, I've got just a, it's a you know, long past uh, path to get here and one that wasn't necessarily intentional that I set out to say, one day I want to be a CEO. I really took a look at my current situation and thought about what are my next possible steps. And so, um, you know, in a, in a separate life, I'm really supposed to be a high school science teacher. You know, I'm supposed to, that was my formal, my formal education for undergraduate. I was, uh, uh, love science growing up, physics, chemistry, or science, and 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 wanted to be a high school science teacher. So went to the University of Akron as a as an undergraduate, and and got my uh, teaching teaching license. And and during that time, uh, was a walk on to the track and field team. And I competed in in a number of a number of sports growing up. And my parents' philosophy when I was young was. Let's feed them, let's wear them out, let them run her outside and then put in a bed till the next day. And so, um, you know, played a ton of sports, soccer, swimming, diving, volleyball, track and field, um, and, and just really enjoyed the teamwork that came along with it as, as well as the, the challenges that came along with sports. And so uh, walked onto the track and field team at the University of Akron. And I was a pole vaulter and hurdler. And, and after my freshman year, the coach pulled me aside and said, hey, love your hard work, love your dedication to what's going on. But to be honest with you, you're not really good enough in either a pole vault or hurdles to, to really focus in on either one of those. But we get this great event you're going to love, and you just have to be average in a whole bunch of events. And it was a decathlon. And I said, I, you know, that sounds pretty, sounds pretty cool. And so my sophomore year started up in the decathlon and, and you know, started adding sprints and the jumps and, and the throws into, into my, my training and, and really fell in love with it because it, it 
allowed me to focus on strengths and weaknesses within myself and really assess to say, okay, where am I doing really well and where do I need some, some, some focus? And it was really all about time management and how do you, with a limited num number of hours during the week, how do you spend the most amount of time on the things that are going to have the biggest impact? And that was one of the early, early lessons I learned um, that I still carry to today was, was that, that time management, that resource management, and how to prioritize what you're doing, because we, there's so much that could potentially go on in a given day, a given week or, or a year that we can't possibly do it all. And there's so many great ideas. And, and, you know, if we're faced with 10 great ideas, but we can only do four, how do you, how do you prioritize those and which ones are going to have the biggest impact on what you're doing, uh, whether it's in sports or within business or within, within management? No, it's a great point. And uh, we're going to call you the jack of all trades, master of some, because uh, I mean, what, what went through your mind when the, when the coach said, yeah, you just have to be average at a bunch of different things. And you're like, I don't want to be average. Why, why would I want to be average? Yeah, no, I, and I, I don't know if he said exactly average, but it was like, good <laughs> enough, good enough. I think he phrased it a little bit nicer than the way I put it there, but um, you know, that, <clears throat> that, that was, again, it was, it was, um, one of those things that I took it as a challenge and, and um, you know, I, you know, never backed down from a challenge, never, never shied away from a challenge and in a lot of ways ran towards those challenges. And so, um, so there was, there were events that I'd never done before shot put javelin discus that um, were really fun uh, to take on, to learn something new and put myself in a situation that um, uh, doing something that I'd never done before. And I think that that, that has helped uh, give me the confidence to, to, when I look at that next step within my career path, to say, I don't know exactly what it's going to be like. I have a perspective from the outside, but I, I do have the confidence that once I get into that role, I'll be able to take my past experience, my past knowledge, and, and be able to have a positive impact on it. And the things that I don't know, I, I've, always, I've always realized that as I step into a new role, I'm not expected to know everything. And I don't think anybody ever is when they step into a new role is expected to have all the answers. And if they if they go in with that mentality of of you know I have all the answers, then they're going to hit a lot of a lot of walls and they're going to make a lot of mistakes. And so I've always taken the the approach of you know I'm gonna I'm gonna take what I know, apply it in a positive way, positive impact. The things I don't know, I'm gonna ask a lot of questions and I'm gonna learn. And I have the the, the capability and the and the um, interest level and the, the um and in the ability to, to to learn new things and i don't want to shy away from that and so um so that's why i eventually took i, I took took that that approach uh in the decathlon and up eventually breaking the school record record which was which was a fun uh a fun event to do that going from a walk-on athlete to breaking the school record um but had such a positive experience in 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 an elite sport uh, or a collegiate sport that I, that I at that point made a change and said I actually want to get into college coaching I'm not quite sure that I have the the life experience to to be a high school teacher because that was one of the things that I really appreciate from some of our our, our best high school teachers is that they taught you what was in the book but they also taught you about life lessons as well and and helped you become a, a holistic person after graduation and so I felt like I don't really have the life lessons yet. I can teach what's in the book, 
but let me go out and do some some other things. And so at that point, decided that I wanted to get into into coaching and and make that make that transition. And that was a um, a great transition for me because uh, as an athlete, you're very you're very focused on yourself. You have to be very selfish with your time. And to make that transition from from focusing on yourself to thinking about how can I help others out and how can I make that shift to, to give back to others and and help them achieve their their goals um, was was really rewarding. And so I, I coached for um, a couple of years uh, after graduation, but um, was living in Indianapolis and had a chance to do some volunteer work with USA Track and Field at the time. And that opened up a whole new uh, world for me of, of the idea of, of working with a national governing body and spending my full day working on, on supporting track and field and, and um, finding ways to, to, again, have a positive impact on the organization and the athletes. And so went from coaching to, to working with USA Track and Field. What would you say is the biggest difference within utilizing teamwork as an individual contributor versus then coaching and helping others, right? Because when you think about the track and field, right? You're an individual contributor within a team yep. versus maybe being on the baseball field, you're one of nine positions. And yes, you're an individual contributor, but you're really playing as part of a team, right? You can't, you can't function without them. And so when you think about in the workplace, right? Them being an individual contributor and having teamwork versus being a leader and and teamwork in that sense of helping coach others, facilitate growth, et cetera. What's the biggest difference there? And what have you learned over time? I'd say from my track and field days of, of where it's a very individualized sport, because it is, unless you have a, a scored meet, it is just, just you out there. Um, I, had, I had teammates that would be athletes as well. And so we were um, during competitions, you know, we were each trying to be the best athlete we could be in the best performance for going forward, but it wasn't necessarily about beating them. It was, you know, I hope my score at the end of the day was better than theirs as well as the competitions. But I, I did realize early on that those around you, you can learn from and they can learn from you. And you can really, even in the individual sports, working together within a team, you can push each other, you can challenge each other and you can help each other out and, and share and each elevate your individual performance. And um, that's the same way with within some of the, the individual sports like like skeleton or, or women's monobob right now is that you know, there's there's no one's no one's an, an absolute expert in any one thing. I mean, we just our life lives aren't long enough. We'd have to live a thousand years to be an expert. But but what we can do is is really learn from the expertise and knowledge from others and and share our own expertise and knowledge. And, and when I look to put a team together within business or within the organization, my goal is always to bring in people that that um, are smarter than me in, in certain areas and and really have a diverse group of, of individuals that have unique backgrounds, but can really focus in on, on certain areas and um, and contribute in, in those areas. And then when I when I look across the team, it's a matter of making sure that we don't have positions and individuals that are overlapping too much and making sure that we don't have gaps where uh, we could be blindsided or, or uh, miss something that's important. When you think about the transition from being a coach into the business side, 
what's what's the transferable skill that someone maybe wouldn't know hey you can go from the coaching side to the business side and vice versa there's so much that you learn from sports and so for for me my my transition from from coaching into working at track usa track and field um it was in a, in a role that was was very much um my my initial role was was uh elite athlete programs so tracking things like health insurance training stipends coaching stipends to athletes that qualify for it and so um you know, with, with, with my experience with coaching, I, I had a chance to, to build some relationships already. I mean, that was, that was an important uh, first step. And that's something that I, I recognized within coaching was building those relationships with the athletes um, that you're coaching, but then also with the other coaches um, as well as, as those coaches from other, other, other schools. And so the same goes true within business. And, and there's always, you've always got um, you're always in a position where you have coworkers that you're that that may be in a different department that you need to collaborate with in order to to progress a, a project or initiative forward. You've got folks that um, you supervise, and and in a lot of ways you can you can have uh, you can be more influential with with those individuals because um, you know just the way business is set up and performance reviews and those types of things, but. In a, in a lot of ways, my my approach with with folks I supervise is it's not a I'm, I'm going to tell you what to do. I'm gonna, we're going to talk about what the goal is very early on in in the year or within the quad in the Olympic movement, and we're going to we're going to come to a con conclusion together on what the goal is that you're working on. And then in a, in in a lot of ways, it's it's me checking in with them to make sure that they're progressing towards that goal and providing the resources that I. I have access to to help them be successful in that role, and then the other is 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 you know everybody reports to somebody and has to has to be accountable to, to somebody, and so it's either a supervisor or, in my case, a board of directors, and so it's it's really building relationships with with those folks, keeping them informed um, as best we can of of you know what the future of the organization is looking looking like, where we are within that within that progression, and and soliciting feedback and getting feedback from them. So it's a matter of, of working with um, kind of the, the whole circle of folks that that are around, around you. And I've seen individuals that can manage up very well and their supervisors think thinks they're doing a great job, but yet they're burning bridges and they're combative with with folks they 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 work with or folks they supervise. Um, and I've seen seen situations of the, the exact opposite, great leaders of a team, but then struggle um working with those who are who are managing them so the whole managing in in every which direction right managing up managing down managing across east to west as you think about what advice you'd give to somebody or even just to yourself three years ago when you're stepping into the role of hey how do you manage up how do you manage down how do you manage across i know there's no secret sauce and no one's an expert right but what is your advice for those who are trying to grow certain skills to ultimately be in a position to be able to manage up, manage down, manage across, or, you know, they're in that position right now, they're, they're getting into it and, you know, they've got two of the directions, but not three. Right. 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 And I, 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 I think it, it, each, each direction that you're, you're, you're working and collaborating with is, has its different challenges. Um, but I think, 
in a bigger picture, the 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 bigger challenge is is working with folks that are difficult to work with, and and adapting to to them. Um, and uh, there's always going to be folks that that disagree with you or have a different approach or you know whatever you know your butting heads. And so, um, you know the the things that that really stand out to me is is taking the emotion out of out of the, that collaboration. You know, that's that's one of the first things because a lot of times the folks that are difficult to work with are are, are very emotional. They're passionate. That passion comes from a, a good place, but they're they may not be necessarily presenting a very objective approach. And so for me when I when I run run into something that's difficult to work with, I say I gotta remove all the emotion and just think as objectively as, as possible. And 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 um Along with that, understanding where they're coming from, because they have they're 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 working with you for sometimes the, the same reason or sometimes a very different reason. And so, how do you how do you re reposition the conversation to a common goal and say how do we how do we work together in order to to work on this common goal? And then the last thing I like to always try and do is is communicate. Uh, the potential outcome and the upside of, of working together and say, if, you know, once and not a, not even phrase it as an if, but once we start working together and, and things are clicking and we're working towards this common goal, here are the outcomes that we're going to, we're going to, we're going to have. And so it's almost repositioning the conversation from sometimes the small little details that might be tripping up the conversation and the collaboration to the bigger picture. And then a lot of times those, those, those small details may not feel as 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 big of hurdles. Yeah, no, it's great. And when you think about the teamwork component, collaboration, uh, the managing in each direction, usually the common denominator for either success or failure is communication to some extent, right? And so when you think about communication, not only as a coach to an athlete, right, or coach to a coach, but then in your role, right, CEO to people who you're supervising or up to your board or board of directors, what, what advice do you give to people on how to work on communication skills? Cause it's one thing to say, Oh yeah, you just got to communicate better, but it's like, yeah. well, okay, great. Well, what do I do? Right. How do yeah. I do it? I would say there's two things that come to mind. One is adapting your style based on, based on who your audience is or who you're working with and understanding them. And I, and I, I think back about my time uh, in during track and field, USA track and field, one of the things that I was ultimately responsible for were the international logistics of getting Team USA athletes from the United States to wherever, wherever they are competing around the world and, and back. And so a lot of trips to, to Europe, a uh, number of trips to Asia, Middle East, Africa, South America, and Central America. So all around the world. And I, I realized that it's always important to understand the culture of where, where you're going. And I remember two very different trips, one to Russia um, and, and thinking about how you negotiate and, and work within Russia. And the approach that, that I learned and I experienced was when you arrive, you show up, you don't smile and you negotiate hard right from the start. And once the negotiation process takes place, then, you know, and the deal is signed, then everybody's great friends and you get along, you can talk about things. Flip that to, 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 to Asia and China, um, spent a lot of time there in preparations for the 2008 Olympic Games. And I learned that, that when you work in, in China, 
you take a very different approach. You show up and you don't talk about business for a few days and you get to know each other. You build trust over that period of time. And if you've taken your time to build that trust and get to know each other, then the negotiation goes goes very smoothly and and um, you can get to an end result very, very quickly. And and if you take the, the, the wrong approach in either situation, if you show up to, to Russia and you try and be friends right from the start, it's not going to go go in your direction, and and um, you know it's seen as, as a sign of weakness. If you show up to Beijing or to Beijing or China and you hit the ground, you say, okay, here's here's the talking points, the deal points, and sign it. Then you then you're 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 met with resistance. And so understanding who you're working with, and having the ability to adapt your style in order to to know, negotiate and work together is really important. And and going back to um, you know, your question about communication, I really think there's multiple stages of communication. One is, is um, communicating and, and um, try, you know, trying to make your point as best you can. But a lot of times how you communicate can be received in, in different, different ways. And there's different perspectives of a, of a situation. Um, uh, as an example, I was, we were, I was sitting around my family the other night having macaroni and cheese. You know, simple simple dinner, and you kind of think, you know, if you ask people to describe macaroni and cheese, you would you would think everybody describes it the same way. And so, I asked my family, "What color do you think this macaroni and cheese is?" My son said, "I think it's yellow." My daughter, my my daughter says, "I think it's gold," and my wife said, "I think it's orange." And and none of them were wrong; they were all right, but they all had different perspectives of the same situation. And so, the the first part of of communication is is as clearly as you can communicate you know what what you're trying to communicate and then the the next step that i think is often forgotten or left out is is to to touch base and communicate or follow up with the person communicating to make sure that they they've understood what you've what you've intended to communicate and are are we speaking the same the, the same language and so um getting feedback from them and not just a one directional here's what i think but here's what i think what did you hear and, and then if there's a disconnect between what my intention was and what i was communicating and what they heard then then that that means that that we need to chat a little bit more or that that communication needs to be clarified from from my side as a leader of an organization and and as you work amongst your peers who are other leaders of organizations what's a common denominator amongst you all in terms of uh, how you're able to lead or uh, is there a common practice per se of, of your leadership style in one way or another? I know that everybody's different, right? And so everybody's got a different style, but are, are there common denominators to being a leader in your role? I would say one of the most important things is, is pulling together a, a, a good team. Because as a leader, you can't you can't do it all. I mean, that's why you have organizations and you have folks that specialize in, in certain areas. And so when I look to put together a, a good team, a successful team, it really comes down to, to two things. One is is um, competence. You know, are they capable of doing what what you know what their role is and what they're responsible for? Or are they capable of, of uh, learning learning that role? And so, um, you know, that's that's the first one, and that's a lot of times we talk we talk to folks about um, about interviewing and coming from a unique sport like bobsled or skeleton. 
a lot of times they, folks put put that experience on their resume. And um, that's always a, a great conversation starter that, you know, I always say that gets you the, you know, that's, that'll increase your chances of getting that interview, but, but you've really got to, um, you know, communicate or talk about what your confidence level is and people aren't going to hire you just because you're a boxer or just because you're a skeleton athlete. You got to display and, and, and convince other other person that you're confident of doing that role. The other thing that I really look, really look for is, is character as well. And, and in a lot of ways that's, that's as important or, or more important than, than that confidence because that character is the, the values, the, the beliefs that you carry, the standards that you have. And that's gonna really have an impact on the decision-making within, within that role. And so the ability to, to do the duties, to do the responsibilities is, is one part, but then who you are and, and what you bring to the team is, is just as important because that does have an impact on, on those difficult decisions that are gonna come up inevitably with everybody. Do you have a go-to interview question? Like I ask this one because I'm looking for I'm looking for how somebody answers it, what their answer is, what context, anything? Um, I, I I do ask a lot of times about how, how do you work with difficult people or or people that may have a different perspective from you, and and can you provide an example of that? And in a lot of ways, I'm I'm very much interested in how they describe that that process of how they go about about um, working with 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 that individual and and so and then always curious about the outcome and in a lot of ways the outcome is less important than understanding that process and and do they do they say things like I ask a lot of questions I want to understand the situation first I mean that's that's really critical to any situation is having a a good understanding and collecting as much information as you can because um, it's difficult to to make a decision or or solve a problem if you don't have the right amount of information. That being said, you can also sit around and just collect information, collect information without ever making a decision. So there's there's a balance between timeline um, and and when that decision needs to be made. So collecting that information is is really important, and then getting buy-in. You know, one of the things that I've really found that in the whole process is is getting buy-in, and a, a lot of times if you present folks with um, an outcome or or our finished product, you know, you're you're trying to get buy-in from from key st stakeholders. If you come forward with the best finished product, the best program, the best policies that are perfect, and you just give it to people, they're going to be resistant. And and they're gonna they're gonna say they're gonna, they're gonna try and shoot holes in it because it's a lot easier to um, critique than it is to to create. And so a lot of folks feel like okay, my my job is to point out what's wrong with with whatever you're presenting. And even if it's perfect, 100% result, there people are gonna poke holes in it. So one of the things that I've found is there's a process of getting buy-in that's really important in order to have. The, the successful outcomes and a successful program. And, and a lot of times that, that buy-in starts off with a couple of touch points within the whole process. And one is presenting it very early on of this is what we're, this is the goal that we're trying to accomplish. Um, and, and, you know, we want to get, we want to get feedback from folks. And so it, 
getting a wide variety of feedback is, is part of that information collecting process. And so now people feel like, okay, they've, they've asked, you know, someone has asked for my input, which is, which is always important. I've provided that, that input. And then it's a matter of, of within that communication process, sharing back, Hey, here's, here's what I've heard. And that was kind of that second step that I was, I was talking about of, of communication to respond back. And if someone's communicating to me, responding back to say, okay, here's what I heard. Are we on the same page? And, and, and sharing back and whether it's a, you know, a list form or a one-on-one -on -one conversation to say, okay, thanks for your feedback. Here's what I've heard. Is that correct? Then, then doing some work. And there's, there's a point somewhere between the start of a project or initiative and, and the finished product that it's important to go back to your key stakeholders and say, hey, here's the progress I've made. Here's why I've incorporated your, your recommendations or feedback. Here's some things that we didn't incorporate and why, how do you think it looks? And then get that second set of, of, of feedback and they're you're gonna say, yeah, I like these things and I've got concerns about these things. And then go back, reincorporate that and then present that final project or that final, that final outcome, that final policy or, or project. And the goal is that that all the key stakeholders feel like they have they've had some input and and they they can kind of see their fingerprints on whatever you're presenting. Then they take a they take a, a, a sense of ownership of hey I contributed to this, and then once they take that sense of ownership, they're gonna they're gonna work that much harder to make sure that that whatever you're doing is is a, has a successful outcome. Yeah, I love that explanation because a lot of people will talk about getting buy-in and. And they just talk about it, but it's like, no, how do you actually do it? Is there a process? And your process might be a little bit different than someone else's, but you fine tune it along the way, right? And, and you know, generally speaking, like the steps of the process are what you just explained. And then, hey, depending on the culture, the, uh, the people, the personalities, all that sort of stuff that you were talking about earlier, uh, you know, you kind of fine tune that process. And as, as we start to wrap up the episode, this has all been fantastic, but um, for those that don't know as much about bobsled and skeleton and, and just the governing bodies as a whole, what's one thing stepping into your role over the last couple of years that you would want other people in the sports business industry to understand about a national governing body, the organizations, um, because you know, as, as a grad student or, or an undergrad student coming out of college, like they most of the time aren't necessarily looking at a national governing body as an opportunity in a career, right? And looking at the, they're, they're looking at the teams, the college athletic departments and the leagues, and that's kind of it, right? But there's yes. so much more outside of it. What, what are some of those things that, that you would want people to know? Well, yeah, I, was, I was talking about working at USA Track and Field. Uh, and that's, that's a very large organization. I mean, large budget, large staff. And, and from there, I... Um, actually competed on the U.S. national bobsled team for, for a number of years, um, came back to USA track and field, and then eventually worked to, with the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee, which is a massive organization that has, you know, it, within the Olympic and Paralympic space, one of the largest in, in the world. And then from there, I took a step and, and took on the role as CEO of USA Bobsled and Skeleton, which is a much smaller organization from USA Track and Field. We're probably talking in, in one budget, thirty, you know, over $30 million, and the other 
just you know slightly over three million dollars. You're probably talking to staff of 60 to 80 folks or more to a, a team of 15. And and I would say that there are um, 50 plus national governing bodies. And and for those that may not know much about a national governing body, it's a it's a nonprofit organization that's been de designated by the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee to be responsible for that sport in the United States. And that includes promoting the sport, um, it includes uh, participation in the sport, uh, domestic events, as well as identifying and supporting the Olympic or Paralympic team in order to be successful at the Olympic and Paralympic Games. So it's a separate organization from the US Olympic and Paralympic Committee, but they work in partnership and, and there's, a, there's different levels of funding based on the national governing body that comes from the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee, and each of us are nonprofits, and we're uh, within the world uh, one of the only Olympic and Paralympic movements and organizations that aren't government funded. So most of the countries that we're competing against have deeper pockets than we do because they get they get government funding, and so we rely extremely heavily on um, for us the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee for a large percent of our funding. We also rely heavily on, on sponsorship and then individual donors. And so, um, you know, that's, that's a big component of what, we're, what, we, what we work on on a regular basis of how do we grow those, those funds and those budgets to, to ultimately take that into, into supporting our, our athletes and, and teams. And so, you know, the one thing about national governing bodies is there's, there's um, no one size fits all. And they're all very very unique from small ones to large ones and and the the number of of um challenges and you and opportunities that you have are are very different um when the in the larger national governing bodies you've you know that you're an inch wide and a mile deep in terms of what you're focused in on and you've got a very narrow scope on the smaller national governing bodies um we have fewer staff and therefore we have a very broad scope. Each one of us has a broad scope of things that, that we're working on. Um, you know, and along with that, you know, a lot of a lot of folks think, oh, you've got to you've got to come from the sport to get involved with 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 a national government. Ask, and you're, I mean, you're an example of someone who did compete in bobsled and skeleton and also track and field in those are the two areas you ended up in, but it doesn't have to be like that, right? It, it, it was coincidence. And it was, it was in a lot of ways luck on my, my, my part, because I was, there was a position open when, when I was, when I was available and, and my, I felt like when I walked in for my first day of, of working at the Olympic and Paralympic um, uh, committee, that, People would just be walking around. Their Olympians would be walking around with their their medals, and and ninety percent of the folks would be, you know, from Olympic and Paralympic teams. And they, you know, and they, they they would have come from sport. But but most people don't come from that from sport that work within the Olympic and Paralympic committee. And and it goes back to confidence first and foremost. And so what what all the organizations are looking for are are folks that are competent and good people. To bring in, and that's 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 definitely more important than being a former a former athlete. Um, now, certainly, there's there's certainly positions like coaching positions or technical positions that having that past experience really helps out. And so, um, you know, in, in my case, my my past experience in bobsled helps out because we're a smaller organization, and so there's a lot of I wear a lot of different hats, and a lot of times I'm in some some. 
very technical conversations about the sport of bobsled or skeleton. Some of the larger organizations um, have, have a massive team that can focus in on the technical part, the high performance part of the sport. And so in a lot of cases, um, the CEOs come from a marketing background and, and revenue generation because that's where they can they can have the biggest the biggest impact. And and you know, I, I feel like my biggest impact um in in the USA Bobsled and Skeleton is the same impact that I had on the track and field team of being a decathlete. And so I feel like my past experience of working with USA track and field and, and being an athlete, working with the US Olympic and Parliament Committee provided me a lot of different experiences to be uh, hopefully not average, but above average in a lot of different different areas in order to, um, you know, potentially fill in fill in gaps with a limited limited staff and, and uh, of coaches and administrative staff of, of 15. 100 percent. You ready for rapid fire? Let's do it. Favorite decathlon event? Pole vault. All right. Pole vaulting or bobsledding? I gotta say bobsledding, of course, in the role that I am. <laughs> I asked I asked Mickey that same question because you both have happen to have similar backgrounds in that sense. Uh, if there's anywhere in the world that you haven't been that you'd go to, where would you want to go? Antarctica. Ooh, so you like the cold? So I was gonna say cold or heat. Um. I prefer prefer cold, but I'll take heat. And and you know I, I've been so fortunate to go to so many places around the world in, in my in what I've done that Antarctica is a place that there's no there's no track meets, there's no bobsled races in Antarctica. So I haven't been there yet. <laughs> uh, single bobsled or four team? The, the the four man. I I would choose four man because I really like that that team chemistry. And relying on each other, and and um, it, it gets exciting when you have when you have four big guys that are running fast and jumping in the sled. And and same goes true on the women's side for two women. When you have two women that are fast, powerful, and 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 going. Are you sitting in the driver's seat? Are you in the back or somewhere in the middle? I I was a brakeman, so I was the last one in the sled, and so I'd probably stick with that. But I, I haven't driven. I'd love to. Love to to try driving at some point. This last year, I I tried skeleton and went down part of the track, hit every wall about three times, and and had a fun experience. But I don't know that I'll be doing it again. Ah oh, man, Aaron, really appreciate all the perspectives, insights. Um, you're you know sharing your journey, uh, and certainly look forward to having you on again in the near future. But really appreciate just all of the knowledge and education uh, you shared with our listeners today. Well, great. It was great to be here. Really enjoy the conversation and go USA. Thanks for tuning into today's episode on the Life in the Front Office podcast presented by Suja Organic. Remember to leave a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Subscribe and follow us on LinkedIn and Instagram at Life in the Front Office. And don't forget to get your 15% off Suja at sujaorganic.com with the code LIFO, L-I-F-O. And stay tuned for next Monday's episode with a new guest and new content.